And as always, um, I think this is a, a good group, um, you know, a good sex selection of gifts and uh, leadership qualities and hearts that are right. And that's so important because we don't, we, you know, oh, well, we got to have uh, an accountant and a lawyer and it's good to have the CEOs on the session and uh, it, it's good to have the people who have the gifts to serve on the session, and those are laid out for us in Scripture. And everyone, for an elder, every one of those gifts deals with character except the ability to teach. They deal with what goes on in here in an individual, and that is so important because what goes on in here comes out of here and is demonstrated here. So let's turn as we prepare to read God's Word, Acts chapter 7, and remember that we are... uh, looking at times when God visits people in particular. We've looked at several people in the Old Testament. And I have to say that Dan's sermon last week on Isaiah 6 was probably the best I'd ever heard on that passage. Now, what you don't know is he was very busy last week, so he just downloaded one of mine and and read it. (laughs) No, it was. I just, uh, it was very clear. Nice job, Dan. Acts chapter 7, and if you're able, stand with me as we read God's Word, starting in verse 54. 54. Heavenly Father, come upon us today with your Holy Spirit, that we might hear your voice. As we read these words on the page, might they come alive in our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit, that our eyes would see clearly, our ears would hear plainly, and our lives would reflect what we find here in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to the end of the chapter. Now, you remember Stephen has given his sermon. And, and that's the, the previous 53 verses. Okay? Verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, I don't hold out much hope. If hope is the correct word for any of us dying in this room for our faith, okay? I just don't see that as part of our culture here today. Now, we do support missionaries who go to the Muslim world. We don't know where they are in general or specifically. We just know that they are in the Muslim world because literally their lives could be put at danger if they were listed as where they were, enlisted as missionaries from the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. So we don't 
we just say they're in the Muslim world. And often they go there with a profession that enables them to contact people in everyday life. Uh, some places they go and they go as business people and they open up businesses. And in the midst of opening those businesses, they are in contact with a larger group of Muslim people and that enables them to share the gospel in a different way. If you remember um, the Cuddles that we support in Cambodia, and he was, has been here for several years, Cambodia is a long way, um, but he talked about opening up a gym, a weightlifting gym. And he said, you know, my friends and I, we had been lifting and we thought, well, we'll just go in the garage and put the weights back there. And before you knew it, people from the neighborhood were wandering by and lifting weights with them. And, and, and they were racking their brains on how they were going to get the gospel out in that community that is full of paganism and, and superstition. And, and there they are in a weight room with a bunch of their neighbors. So they opened a gym, and I, I remember he, he said we had over 5,000 different people come through that gym in one year. Now, we, we rack our brains. How are we going to share the gospel? Sometimes it's right in front of us. And he said we, we were so busy talking to people that we never got to work out. Okay, But everybody else came in, and that was a great vehicle to share the gospel with there. So in those countries, in, in, in some, a lot of those Muslim countries, Christian activities are illegal. Uh, you can't teach your children the things of the gospel. You can't uh, get caught praying in public with someone. Um, you, can't, uh, you can't say, in, in, I learned this week, uh, in Brunei there are certain words believers cannot say, like Koran and Muhammad and mosque. Now, Muslims can say those words, but Christians cannot say those words. And you might be fined up to $4,000 for saying those words. Now, never in our country would we have something where only a certain group of people can say a word and another group cannot say a word, right? You think on that one for a while. Okay? Historically, it was seen in some cases an honor where the greatest sacrifice for the things of the gospel to be martyred, dying for your faith. Justin Martyr was beheaded for his faith in A.D. 165, and he said, the more we are persecuted, the more do others in ever-increasing numbers embrace the faith and become worshipers of God through the name of Jesus. Now, there is some debate throughout history whether the persecution fuels church growth or whether the church is growing, so there is persecution. There's just some debate upon that. It's hard to say. Perhaps the living out of faithfulness in the gospel, when you, you understand if you're, going to take, if you're going to take a stand on the gospel, it may cost you your life, so you're really devoted to that, and perhaps that becomes attractive to others as they see that we are willing to stand even in the face of death. Now, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. It's, Paul didn't talk about it as an option. He says, this is what you can expect. Now, and this was nothing out of the ordinary in his life. It was just a fact of life for him. This is the way life is. Paul didn't see the suffering that he endured as anything exceptional. He just said, you want to be a Christian? This is what's going to happen. So we have to ask, and I, I don't like this question, but I have to ask this question. Will persecution make us better Christians? Hmm. Maybe a better question 
or a better answer is better Christians tend to produce persecution. That better Christians tend to produce persecution. Why? The better Christians we are, the more we look like Christ and the less we look like the world. So the more we stand out apart from the world, the more we do things that the world doesn't understand. And remember, there, are like, there might be more than three, but there are three main responses to the gospel when people hear it. They receive it, they are apathetic to it and thereby reject it, or they are hostile to it. And perhaps the purer our lives, the more we look like Christ, the more hostile the world becomes to us because the more the world hates the things of holiness and of justice and of mercy. It sounds very strange that you would hate the things of mercy and hate the things of justice and righteousness. But that's the response to the gospel as we see here in what happens to Stephen. Stephen died because of his witness to the truth. I mean, it's clear the Lord came to him and provided for him during these last moments of life. I mean, it says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And he had been demonstrating this since, well, since we first pick him up in in, in the previous chapters of Acts, where he is uh, made a deacon. Now, most of the time, the things that Stephen did in Scripture are seen more in the disciples because he preached the word. He did the miraculous. And usually that was reserved just for the disciples. Deacon's job were to do the things of service, more hands-on service, while the disciples, the apostles, reserved themselves for teaching and preaching and working out the things of Christ. Well, Stephen was chosen a deacon, but he seems to have these wonderful gifts of teaching and you know, the ability to do the miraculous. So God visited him in a wonderful way at just the right moment because of his faithful witness to the truth. He gave the truth of God's word plainly, clearly, without fear. That cost him his life. Now since we won't be dying, hopefully, for our faith anytime soon, uh, such as our culture, perhaps we need to look at a little bit of Stephen's witness here. Now remember when Jesus and the disciples were at Caesarea Philippi, he asked them a question. His first question was, what do men say, or who do do men say that I am? Remember his disciples went, oh, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're a prophet, and uh, some say you're Elijah, and, and that's what the populace was saying. And then Jesus says, you almost see him take his finger and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, he speaks up. And says what? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the first thing that we understand about the things of God is that flesh and blood do not reveal them to us. Now you say, well, Rand, that, that, that takes me off the hook, right? I really don't have to evangelize. I don't have to tell anybody about my faith because it's not flesh and blood that reveals it, but God. And when God is ready to reveal himself to Bubba over here, then he will. Uh, But there's those other portions of Scripture that says, how will they know unless they hear? Uh, Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Okay, so that's our job. Our job is this external call. 
the external presentation of the gospel. And that's what Stephen did in this long sermon that we have before. And we'll look at little bits of that. He made an external call. And that is the job of every believer. The internal call, the call that really changes the life, comes from the Holy Spirit. And that is the revealed word. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So it is the Holy Spirit who comes and makes things known in our hearts about who Christ is. You walk out that door and you can see the created world and go, pretty sure there's a God, something bigger than me who has given order to this, to this and made this so complex but yet so orderly. You can't know who Jesus Christ is until the Holy Spirit reveals him to you. Reveals him to you in the word. Reveals him to you in the testimony of others. So the first thing and the first and most important lesson we understand is that we learn about a witness of the truth. We learn about who Jesus Christ is through revelation. Through the work of the Holy Spirit changing and revealing Christ to our hearts. Our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, what it means in our life does not come through our rational ability, although it is rational, it is logical. It does not come through our own efforts, although once our hearts are changed, the Lord expects us to use our own gifts and to use them in powerful ways. It does, but it comes through the opening of our eyes through the work of the Holy Spirit. Truth is revealed to us, capital T, truth is revealed to us. We can understand, as I said, we can understand that God exists by looking out in the world. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11 real quick. We'll have a quick look here. To know the things of Christ, we must have our eyes opened to the things of Christ. And you think, well, yeah, because... I heard the gospel preached or friends told me about the things of Christ for years, but I didn't believe. It didn't change my heart. And then all of a sudden, one day, and in, in, in perhaps you weren't expecting it or perhaps in a way that's shocking, your eyes were suddenly open and you believed and you said, what about all those years before when I heard it? Why didn't I believe then? Well, because the Lord opened your eyes on this day and not before. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Not everybody is saved. We know that. Okay, We're not universalists. Not everybody is going to heaven. Those who are gone have their eyes open, have the Son revealed to them, have the Father revealed to them, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Father reveals the Son. The Son reveals the Father. Only by divine revelation can we understand Christ. So let's be certain that we understand the question Jesus asked his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, okay? Because, you know, I I joke a lot when I have a real hard question. I go, now this will be on the test to see if you get into heaven. And then I ask a question that nobody can figure out. Um, This will be on the test to get into heaven. Who do you say I am? Not me. But Jesus says, who do you say that I am? The question is not, who did your mother tell you Jesus was? 
Who does your spouse believe Jesus is? Who do your kids try to encourage you to believe that Jesus is? That's not on the test. That is not the question. The question is, who do you say Jesus is? And there is one answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you cannot answer that, your destination is somewhere other than heaven. And you don't want to be there. Not only is your eternal destination somewhere other, but it's this life. I mean, we don't just don't preach the gospel just so we can go to heaven. I don't want to minimize heaven. Heaven is way better than this world. It's way better than a sunny day on the golf course. It's way better than a sunny day on the golf course eating chocolate. Okay, it's just as bad, it's as good as it gets. You know, and we can't even grasp it. But the salvation in this world is also a life that is now devoted to the one who has created us. The one who calls us, the one who empowers us, the one who loves us more than we can understand. So salvation is not just for that day down the road, it is for right now. Because our lives are changed right now. Right now. So who do you say that I am? Well, let's look at Stephen's witness back in Acts chapter 7. And all that we really need to know about Stephen's witness to Jesus Christ is that in his sermon, in his message, he told them what they already knew, what many had seen with their own eyes, what they should have been able to figure out for themselves, and then what they didn't want to hear. Okay? And, and those, are, those are classic things. Um, what they already knew. These were people who were well-versed in the Old Testament. Stephen goes through and gives them you know, a bird's eye view of the Old Testament. He kind of gives them the, the run through and these things they already knew. Most of these were the Sanhedrin. They had an understanding of these things. He also tells them about things that they had seen in their own eyes. I mean, some of these people had seen Jesus. They had seen the miraculous. They had seen the miraculous in Stephen's own life. So he told them what they already knew, what they had seen. Many of them had seen with their own eyes he also told them what they should have been able to figure out themselves. Because if you have all this in front of you, yes, I'm an expert in the Old Testament, and along comes a guy who seems to fulfill everything that the Old Testament says that the Messiah will be doing when he comes, they should have been able to figure out that Jesus was the Messiah. But Stephen also tells them what they really hated to hear, and that was that they missed the Messiah, and not only did they miss the Messiah, they had killed the Messiah. They had killed the Messiah. He says, you are a stiff-necked people. Look at verse 51 of chapter 7. You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. And when he says fathers, he's talking about those in the Old Testament who killed the prophets, who said your lives need to be demonstrations of holiness and justice, and they were corrupt. And they, when the prophets came and delivered the message, they killed them. Okay, verse 52, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Uh, they didn't want to hear that. Okay, I mean, who does? And, and there's two responses when it comes to this drastic and clear of a message. One, you fall on your face and you repent because you have been 
cut right to the heart and, and there, is, there is this brokenness in you and you say, I, Lord, you're right, okay? I'm not worthy. I've done terrible things and, and I, I can't get there on my own and that's what they should have understood. Their response was, we've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to get, kill this guy because that is a dangerous, dangerous message. You killed the righteous one. You didn't receive the law. Verse 53 you received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. You remember, this is the history of Israel. If you keep my law, if you worship me, I will bless you. If you don't and go worship idols and go running off after the things of the world, what's going to happen? I'm going to curse you. Just be ready for that. Every time that you declare the truth, Every time that you witness to the things of the gospel, the Lord will come and visit you. The Lord will come and visit you. I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon for you here. How are we to handle this sword? The sword, as he's referring to, is the word, it is written. From Matthew chapter 4, remember Jesus is out in the desert and he's being tempted by Satan. And every time Satan brings along this temptation, Jesus says, and it is written, and he quotes scripture. First, you handle it with deepest reverence. Let every word that God has spoken be law and gospel to you. Never trifle with it. Never try to evade its force or to change its meaning. God speaks to you in this book as much as if, he, if again he came to the top of Sinai and lifted up his voice in thunder. Our Lord himself felt the power of the word. It was not so much the devil who felt the power of it is written as Christ himself. Remember, there's, there's one thing to say it. And then there's another thing to come to the conclusion that, yes, this is the power of God. These words that I have said are not just words to say. This is truth. This is life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, he said, I will not command stones to be made to bread. I trust in God who can without bread sustain me. I will not cast myself down from the temple. I will not tempt the Lord my God. I will not worship Satan, for God alone is God. The manhood of Christ felt an awe of the word of God, and so it became a power to him. Remember this. To trifle with Scripture is to deprive yourself of its aid. To trifle with Scripture is to deprive yourself of its aid. Well, I really don't like those passage, so I'm going to make that passage easier, or I'm going to, going to reinterpret it. You're depriving yourself of the aid that Scripture brings to you by not believing it, by trifling with it, by adjusting it. This is the Word of God. Receive it, I beseech you, Spurgeon says, and look up to God with devout gratitude for having given it to you. After all, the gospel message is the most important message you can tell anyone. And when we tell it, no matter if we're stumbling and bumbling, I mean, how many of us have tried to share the gospel and we walked away from that conversation going, did the person understand anything I had to say? Because it sure didn't, I didn't understand what I said. You know, sometimes we just don't explain it well. Um, you know, we're not theologians, we're not all theologians, we're, we're just people who believe and this is right. And yet, the Lord uses our stumbling and bumbling because it's not us, it's the Word. Now, Stephen makes a great presentation 
about the power of God. And it is the power of God unto salvation. That's what the word of God is. And remember what Isaiah tells us, that God's word will not come back empty without accomplishing, quote, what he desires, and it shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. So you may say in your stumbling and bumbling, well, what did I accomplish? Maybe you were the waterer. Maybe you were the fertilizer. Maybe you were the one who actually, in the declaration of the gospel, uses the Lord uses you, and that convicts the person. Maybe that makes the person so angry that he responds in a way that these, these Sanhedrin did and want to kill you. You know, they, the gospel presented in faithfulness accomplishes the purposes of God. And the purposes of God may not be the same purposes you and I would like. I mean, come on, when I share the gospel with somebody, I want them to believe. I want their lives to be changed. I want them to be on their knees and praying and receive Christ and know this joy that the world doesn't have to offer. But the Lord may have a different plan. I may be in a long line of people who share the gospel, that person. And right now, my job in the sharing of the gospel, the accomplishment of that is to make them angry at it because it's a holy thing and they don't like holy things. It is something different than what they expect, and they don't like that. We, we don't know where we are, but the Lord will accomplish his purposes when we faithfully present the gospel. And he will visit us with the power of the Holy Spirit. As we know, there is no guarantee that God will visit everyone that we share the gospel with. There is a guarantee that he will not visit people who do not hear the gospel. Okay? Don't hear the gospel. Don't know about Jesus Christ don't go to heaven that's the way that works so we're sure of that so we are called to present this gospel now the sanhedrin which uh, stephen is is really in front of at this time had just had enough of this jesus stuff i mean they can barely take it anymore to them it is blasphemy so they begin to yell and they begin to try to drown out uh what stephen is saying and then they kind of look like those monkeys you know Although they don't have to do this, they can do this. I don't want to see Stephen, I don't want to see what he's saying, and I sure don't want to hear what he's saying. So they cover their ears, so they don't have to hear what he's saying. And Stephen has already said they had what kind of ears? Uncircumcised ears, okay? Not righteous ears. Remember Jesus, before he does a parable, will often say, he who has ears, let him hear. You know, you look at a parable and say, well, that's plain, I can understand that. Why doesn't everybody understand it? They don't have the ears. They don't have the ears. Well, the Sanhedrin is furious. Let's look at this. Now, verse 54, now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. Okay, they were cut to the quick. Um, This word means, uh, not, not cut like with a knife, but sawn. Okay, almost as if their very lives and all that they held to was sawn in half with a big saw. Tradition tells us that Isaiah was killed that way, that he was sawn in half. This is the same type of word. So their hearts are literally uh, torn up, not in repentance, not in sorrow, but in anger. Okay, remember, they should have been on their knees for what has happened. But yet, they look at that and go, no, we got to kill Stephen and it can barely talk because their teeth are gnashing their teeth um, anybody have to wear one of those things at night because they go 
grind their teeth at night. Well, this is the same type of thing that was going on. They're just going, in fact, it's the same word for wolves. I've never, I've never been face to face with a wolf, but you know, when a wolf growls and bares its teeth, it's got it together like this. It goes, that's the same word. And this is what they were doing at Stephen. Okay. And, and it's pretty clear, you know, if you're Stephen, of course, I don't think Stephen really cared much at this point. They're going to kill him. But Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. As we've seen before in Scripture, that when faced with the truth, those who love error will love their sin more. And that's what's happening here. They hate the truth. They love their sin. They have to silence the messenger. Now, does God harden their hearts or does he simply let their natural course of their hearts go so that they become even harder and letting their own sinful natures take control? The message has been delivered graciously. Yeah, it was hard, but, you know, the message is sometimes hard. The truth is sometimes hard. But truth has a way of upsetting people. Truth has a way of upsetting people. I tried to find some things in in today's world where truth upsets people. Well, sometimes it's who you hear the truth from because it used to be beauty was in the eye of the beholder. But today it seems almost as if truth is in the eye of the beholder. This is what I want truth to be, so this is what it is, and you have to conform to it. Now, throughout my life, I've been quoted in the newspaper exactly three times. Okay? Three times. How many times do you think it was uh, misquoted in the newspaper? Three times, okay? Three times. Um, There was a famous study that was done by a man named John Bohannon. And it was a bogus study. From, from the minute he concocted it, it was full of errors and wrong. And he sent it to 304 medical journals. 304 medical journals. It dealt with a chemical that, that he claimed had anti-cancer uh, properties. And he said it was clear, let me get the words right, it was clear the experiments were so hopelessly flawed that the results were meaningless. Out of those 304 journals, 157 published them verbatim. Published the experiments, published the results, and all of a sudden there are all these, all this talk about this this drug and these chemicals, anti-cancer stuff. And once those journals were published, he came up and said, you know what? You didn't do your homework. You didn't check the truth. You didn't examine it to see if it was actually true. And, And I come out plainly and say, it is all false. There is no hope of this. You went and jumped right in. You didn't check your facts. He said, I created a scientific version of Mad Libs. Anybody remember Mad Libs? Okay, that's what he did. And they fell right for it. Okay, so sometimes the truth is also affected by who you hear it from. You know, this this week uh, out in Arizona, the governor vetoed a bill. Was the bill a religious rights bill or was it an anti-gay bill? Really, it depends on who you listen to. Because they said both things about it. The truth is dependent on who you heard it from. What we are finding more and more is that a preconceived view of the world. A a redefining of terms. You have to fit into my mold. This is my truth. And if you don't hold to this truth, you have problems. 
Now, I found this uh, illustration. Students at some universities are being forced to make apologies for their views because those views offend other students. Let me give you an example. One student was recently charged with a microaggression. A microaggression, okay? And, and, and from what I read, this is how I would define the microaggression. My view of the world, according, according to my view of the world, your view of the world offends me. And I deem that your view of the world promotes racism, bigotry, and hatred. So you need to apologize for your view of the world and no longer promote your view of the world. So this student had to stand up in the same class in which they said their opinion. Now everybody has an opinion, right? Well, they said their opinion or view of the world and had to apologize for it because somebody in the classroom who remained anonymous because they could sub- submit an anonymous claim about this was offended by their view and said your view promotes racism and hatred and bigotry. And the school made them do that. People's perception, opinion, their worldview, you know, they cling to it so tightly, but they're not sure what, what made it true. Opinions, everybody has their own opinion, not everybody's entitled to their own facts. Facts are facts, okay? Facts are facts. Stephen, controlled by the Spirit. Because the Spirit was in control, we don't see a, a, a type of normal reaction in the death of Stephen. Okay, somebody picks up a paving stone and throws it at you. What are you going to do? I guess Stephen stands there. He's praying. He's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. 55. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. Where did he look? I know it says into heaven, but where did he look? He looked up. Who is he looking for? Christ. Where, what, and when he sees Christ, what is Christ doing? He's standing. What did we learn from the passage that we read earlier? That Christ sits on the right hand. Well, here Christ is standing. Christ sits because the work of Christ is finished. The redeeming work of Christ is finished. Out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. But here we get the image that Christ stands to give aid. Okay, Stephen, in this time of great need, that, that, yes, he's full of the Spirit, but they're killing him. They're throwing these big stones at him, and sooner or later, he is going to be done. In this time of need, Christ stands. You can almost see, you know, here's the Father seated on the throne. You can't really see the Father because no man sees the Father. But you see the Son, and it's if he stands to give him aid, to receive him, to see him through what he has done. He has been faithful in his proclamation of what is true. Now the Lord intervenes. One man, full of the Spirit, looks up and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. Well, they didn't want God's truth. They wanted their own truth. They wanted to define it and say, Stephen, your truth offends me because your truth offends me. I'm going to kill you. That's what they were doing. They'd resisted the Holy Spirit all along. Stephen is focused upon God's glory. They rush him, they drag him out, they stone him. And Stephen says pretty much the same thing that some other guy said when they were killing him. 
don't establish their sins against them. Now, here you and I are, we're trying to dodge the stones and maybe we're, we're, you know, we're thinking terrible thoughts about the people throwing the stones at us. Stephen stands there. Then he kneels and he says, don't hold the sins against them. The Lord visited him as he presented the gospel. The Lord visited him when he was about to meet him face to face. Those are the guarantees. I, I, I don't know if any of us will have to give up our lives for the gospel. I don't expect to. But if that day comes, I know the Lord will be there. Every one of us is called to present the gospel. The Lord will be there. He will visit your words with the power of the Holy Spirit when you present this. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we look at Stephen and they gave him the truth, and they didn't like it. There are people that we will come in contact with, Lord, that we will have the opportunity to give the truth to, and they won't like it. They might like, not like it in a, by simply rejecting it or being apathetic about it or saying, well, that's good for you. Or they might be hostile to us in an effort to silence the truth because it doesn't fit their perceived truth or the truth that they like. But Lord, you call us to present the gospel in gentleness, to do it plainly, and to not compromise on its truth. For to change it is to to do a terrible thing. Salvation comes through Christ. No other vehicle, no other means. He has done the work. It is complete. It is our job now to believe with our hearts and to confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and to let others know that and they too may be saved. And when we do this, we know and are assured of your presence because your word will accomplish what you desire it to do. Might we walk in this confidence no matter what the circumstance. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.